first. It is possible to meet Michaela Brown outside of business. Second, it needs patience. Third, it's worth it. My name is Johanna, last name Schwab. I will be living in New York City for the next six months. As a lover of fashion and its invisible power, of words, voices and questioning, I had the idea to start a podcast. You will be getting a mix here. I'll put my soliloquies on record and do what I like the most. Talk to people whose work and thoughts I find inspiring. This podcast is called Refashion New York City. Michaela Brown created her own business model, combining her PhD in anthropology and her love for fashion. Michaela Brown is a fashion anthropologist, which breaking it down means, before you say wow, ask why. She is also the creator of Sidewalk Safaris, a city tour, which she describes intriguingly. We are going to disco deep dive into Harlem, using fashion as our lens. This walk is to get to know Harlem as the starting point of black fashion in America. As much as today's Harlem and the importance of community in keeping small and diverse businesses. When I met Michaela, she was in the middle of launching similar tours in Atlanta and L.A. By the end of next year, she wants to have them in 10 American cities. This talk is recorded in a cafe in Harlem. We are sitting outside next to a busy street. It still feels like summer, even if it's the 1st of October. We just came from a two-hour sidewalk safari and we still are surprisingly energized. Michaela's power is contagious. I decided to publish this conversation, even if the background sounds try to overtake. I am so happy that I had a chance to talk to her. Meeting her was from the sort, encounters you will never forget. We are starting with my word game. It's like a little game. I just say the word and you tell me what you come, what comes in your mind. Wonderful. Tell me, like Wonderful. when I say that word. The first word is wardrobe. Wardrobe. Identity. And uh, the next word is confidence. Authentic. Basic. Uninspired. Style. Everything. <laughs> DIY. The word I'm coming up with is like constructive. Like what I think about DIY is that you're creating something that didn't exist outside of the world, outside of you. So I don't know what that word is, but do you get what I'm saying? Like maybe contribution, DIY is like your contribution to the world because without you, DIY, without you it can't exist, right? Yeah. Nice. Um, must have. Different for everyone. Passion. Uh, life's purpose. Detail. What makes something special? That, that it's, a, it's the uniqueness of things. Two more. Okay. Um, patchwork. Patchwork. Community. Mainstream. Necessary but never preferred. Nice. So, you call yourself a fashion anthropologist. Yes. And you made up that word, or is it something... You called yourself. Yes, yes. I would say I coined it, but I, it, it has existed in academic circles for years. But I think I'm one of the first people to use it as a business model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how does it come? Like you studied anthropology? I did. I have my doctorate in anthropology. Um, and I've always had a love of fashion. It was only about four years ago that I could put the two together. Um, because in many ways, 
now we live in a time where things are hybrids and conglomerates of different ideas. When I was um, 20 years ago, when I was thinking about what I wanted to be in the world, there wasn't these in-between spaces the way they are now. Because of the gig economy, because of companies like Uber and Facebook and Twitter, it's created this space where people can do things that aren't so black and white. When I first was becoming a professional, things were very binary. So for me, fashion anthropology grew out of this ability to create a space for myself in the world that made sense, but kind of lived in between two things, which is culture and fashion. Mm-hmm. And also, we, we came just from your tool, which is called Sidewalk Safari. It's yes. also something you were inventing, or? Yes, yes. Um, so maybe you can tell us something about that. Sure. What are they about? How did you come up with that idea? Sure. Yeah. So I call them Sidewalk Safaris because when you go on a safari, you're acutely aware that you're paying attention to every detail. And you're aware that you're entering a world outside of your own, but you're paying attention to the details and you're observing how somebody's an animal or person's culture is different than yours. I became a fashion anthropologist because subconsciously, as I was walking the streets, I was scanning people and looking for clues of who they are. I'm an extrovert, and a part of being an extrovert is understanding people and making them feel comfortable. So as an extrovert, one of the ways I could make people feel comfortable to engage with me as a stranger was to understand them. And so clothing became kind of a roadmap for me. So I was paying attention to tattoos and the particular earring you wore and how you did your makeup and how you styled. And it made me realize at points that it was the side, the streets, the sidewalk became this incredibly nuanced and exciting other world that I got to observe and really engage with, even if it was something outside of what I was familiar with. So I initially wanted to have a travel show. I loved Anthony Bourdain. I loved what he was doing with food. I wanted to do that for fashion. But I didn't, I wouldn't have networks beating down my door. So the tours really were inspired by a need to monetize. Like, how do I make money from being a fashion anthropologist? I could be an academic, which is something I never wanted to do exclusively. Um, I always wanted to be a business person. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So how do I monetize this intersection between fashion and culture? And I was going to do that research anyway. The tours allowed me to share with people, not only to make money from it, but also to connect with people on an individual level and say, hey, let's look at this differently together and let's all learn together. Um, I'll be honest, at first it started, I was like, I just want to make money doing what I love. But it, but the more I did it, the realize I realized, the more I realized it was my sole purpose, that I was always meant to be doing this. And I had my own fashion line for four years, and I love fashion. I'm obsessed with fashion, but it never fulfilled me the way that this does now. Why did it not? Like, I think... What means- I think there. I think the fashion industry is an amazing industry, but I think it puts a lot of undue pressure on creatives. The proliferation of seasons. You know, back in the day we had four seasons. Now we have like 16. Yeah. That needs to constantly be putting out output, engaging new customers. That felt like a chore. Yeah. I just wanted to create. Um, and I found being a fashion designer, there were almost too many rules I felt stifled. Yeah. What I like about my company now is there are no rules because no one else is doing it, so I get to make it my own. And I miss the part of the culture. So I had a socially conscious fashion line, so I talked a lot about culture within the collection, but not to the degree that I do now. And I like the tours because it, I hope that it makes people think more critically about their own style and their own fashion. Yeah. I think people think of fashion as a very superficial industry, But it says so much about who you are. And so I wanted to empower people, in particular women, to be 
self-narrators. Like, I wanted them to be part of the narration of who you are to the world. So, like, rather than I'm constantly putting on a dress that you bought because you saw it on a Kardashian, I want you to think about why you like that dress, why you like that color, why that cut worked with your body. It celebrated your Latin hips and your curves. Like, I wanted to tell that story. That's somewhat harder to do with the fashion line because you mail out the clothes and they have it. But there's not much of a discussion. They come on the website, they like it, they wear it. The tours are a way where I can actually control the narrative and like really engage much more deeply yeah. about clothing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And um, like it's like this umbrella uh, project yes. you're doing is called if I uh, common thread. The common thread project. project. Yep. And I love the teaser or how you how you write about it. It's like for me it's a teaser where you say like where Van Gogh, Gucci sneakers, and female barbers aren't nearly as unrelated as they seem. Right, right. What do you mean by that for someone who, you know... So the, the cool thing about being an anthropologist is that you learn how history, politics, culture all come together to create a community as a society. And that happens with fashion. Um, such a good example, we were just on a tour and someone pointed out how the, reset, the bubble of the 80s followed by a recession in the early 2000s affects the way fashion is impacted today for local fashion artisans. I think I think it's such a complex, intricate story, and like fashion can be this amazing. It's like your favorite book. You love that book because you can deep dive into the characters and learn the nuances, and like you learn about the history of their mother and how it affects them now, and how they date and their community, and like the favorite foods. Like it all comes together to tell the story of a person. And fashion is just like that. Like you can't divorce fashion from politics. You can't divorce fashion from history. You can't divorce fashion from culture. And why would you? Because it only makes the fashion better. Because it's, it's a story. So for me, I think about fashion as art, but I think of it as a story. Like, it's telling a story. And, like, that's so exciting. Mm -hmm. And I think people are really excited about it once they start thinking that way, but we're not programmed to think that way. So I see my company as a mission to push people to just think more critically about fashion so that they enjoy it more. It's so much more than just, like, it makes me look pretty. It's telling your story. It's telling the story of the designer. It's telling the story of the artisans who use their hands to make it. The person who, like, worked at the mill who made the fabric. Like, all that comes together to make this, like, beautifully intricate tapestry. It's, like, so awesome. Yeah. And, like, in this case, like, it's maybe naive, but uh, is there really a re relation for you for, uh, like, Van Gogh, Gucci sneakers, and uh, or is that just, like, to... No. You know? No. So... That's Harlem. Like, all those things are Harlem. And so in Harlem, fashion can be Dapper Dan, which is luxury, one of the few black designers in luxury. So the most opulent um, fabrics made in Italy brought here. But then you go two blocks down, and it might be a fam another boutique that, ha that it's all about. You know, that's where the abuela shop, you know, because they love the fabric that's there. Like, for me, it's about neighborhoods and communities as much as it's about fashion. And, like, what fashion lines or what small fashion businesses make sense in a neighborhood it's telling the story of that community yeah. and a lot of times especially a place like Harlem there's people who are like third generation Harlemites and then there's people like me who moved here because we're ambitious and we want to make the most of the world but we all live together side by side right on top of each other and we all contribute to the culture of this place and I might if you would ask me do I have a lot in common with someone who's been in Harlem for like 10 years I'd say no I'm Jamaican I grew up in Florida I'm so different but being forced to live in a neighborhood together we have formed this community in that bond that we are connected and some of some of that is through cult clothing and I love that I love that I, it's the common thread because it's the common thread that draws us all together like it's a double entendre on purpose like it's not only about 
the thread as a fabric, but yeah. the thread of like the tapestry of a community. Yeah, I get it. Like, I'm, and then you're also you're already mentioning it, but I felt um, knowing you a bit now or like following yeah. your work. Uh, That there's two big motives which are somehow community or yes. which is community and cultural awareness yes. which are big things you're working on yes. so um, and that's why I only do minority designers yeah. I only do minority fashion artisans one because for a lot of marginalized designers they only have their immediate community their friends and their family that's who they're selling to and that's not sustainable in the world that we live in especially with the global wave of gentrification so for me the reason why I want to give them customers that wouldn't automatically think to come to them yeah. who would innately love them but just have never been exposed have never been able to brush up against their brilliance so I use my tours as a way to like broaden their audience hopefully keep them give them business that will keep them open for longer but also inspire people from other countries to be to interact with their amazing genius like they're so smart some of these designers are making such beautiful things but they don't have the marketing budget for the world to know and they don't have the connected friends or fathers to like give them the platform so this is my little this is my form of activism for me my company is like it's capital but it's also activism it's community development it's all those things together in one and also like the at the beginning of the tour you were like that was so nice how you were talking about uh, in Harlem how different like the customer and this relation yes. to clothes yes. you know and like yes. maybe you can tell yes. something about that again yeah so we live in a world tonight. of like fast fast fashion and fast fashion is about getting the product off the shelf as quickly as possible what I love about minority fashion which is very much sustainable so when you think about sustainable you think of bamboo fabrics you think about yeah. a girl who goes to harvard who goes to india and meets an artisan and like makes a cute website but in many ways local minority designers they're sustainable fashion because it's slow fashion they take time with their pieces they invest in them they hand make them it's like a process they don't make a ton so for me what i love about harlem and most of the minority designers that i work with is that they love fashion so much it's really not about the buck for them because if the, it was about the buck for them they'd work for a big designer and churn out designs and they would just be made all the time and sold all the time for them it's about the experience it's about the engagement it's about putting themselves into the clothing it's about putting the consumer into the clothing as well um, it's just such a customized experience and we're losing that in fashion because it's all about the almighty dollar it's about selling things as quickly as possible always having something new on the shelf yeah. and these minority designs they're sustainable designs they don't get the same street cred as a white girl from Harvard but they're slow fashion yeah And the same ways that slow, sustainable fashion is such a necessity, not only for the world, but for the environment. Yeah. These minority designers are contributing to that, to that movement, but they don't get the same exposure or the same shine or the same remuneration. And so I'm glad to give them a platform bigger yeah. than what they already have. Yeah. Let me pause for a second. It wasn't only Michaela and me sitting around a table, but another woman, another participant of the Harlem tour. She didn't mean to interrupt us, but these news were too fresh, too important not to share. Amber Geiger, a white off-duty police officer, was just found guilty for murdering Botham Jean in his own apartment in Dallas. She tried to escape punishment by saying she thought it was her apartment and he trespassing. You will hear now how we found out about the news and all the happy reactions because this is a justice which isn't a given in America. You okay? 
Oh god, what news is it now? Yes, I'm sorry. I knew Oh they found her guilty! Oh my god, I thought they were gonna let her off. Because <gasps> she cried this week. And no disrespect, but white tears have white, a lot of weight. White tears have have a lot of weight. Oh, I'm so happy. Yes. So did you hear about this woman who walked into the wrong apartment and killed the man living in there? No. So she lived in an apartment that had like cooker cutty cooker cutty. It's like a very like modern building where every building looks the same. She's a police woman. She ah, walked into okay. a man's house because like, yeah. his door didn't fully click. It was one of those electric yeah. locks. She thought she was in her apartment. Because he was a black man sitting on his couch eating ice cream, no she saw him as an intruder, took out his gun, and killed him. Did not realize until after that she was not in her apartment. Let me point out some facts. He had a big red mat in front of his door. She did not. She had an island in her apartment. He did not. So even though the apartment was cookie cutter, if she had any presence of mind... She would have known that yeah. it wasn't her apartment, yeah. but yet she I defaulted really to this black man as a threat to me. This week on the stand, she was like, "So happy about that." And I there was one died. point last week where I read an article, and I don't know if it was right, where the, even the prosecutor had said, "I don't think she meant to kill him." And when I was like, "Why would he what? say that?" Yeah. But then his closing argument was so good because he was like, he showed the red mat. He was like, he had a humongous red mat in front of his apartment. She did not. Like, how do you not also like, isn't that crazy? It's so crazy. Ah, good question. Oh, that's where it was? Yeah, Dallas. Which is another thing because Dallas is not black friendly. is not black so I was like, his closing argument was so good, but I was sure. And then there was a point where they were going to try to ask for, like, involuntary manslaughter. They were, like, trying to reduce her stuff so much that I was like, she's going to get a year at that. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah, it's just sounds like murder, murder. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's big. I'm just going to go to my Perfect. Perfect. Which is casual awareness. Yeah. Like, what's going on So I also, like, I do a lot of work around cultural appropriation and my tours yeah. are the perfect place because I think for most white people they don't mean to offend they just don't know better right so with cultural appropriation one of the biggest reasons why cultural appropriation gets perpetuated is because you don't know the history right so you see your really dope black shirt and you're like I love it I'm gonna wear it and all that people are saying like you don't know the history you don't know the context like you don't get to wear it unless you understand where it came from what it meant to us so on my tours I'm providing that education right and I'm also Very giving you the insider scoop, like, hey, already a question, don't wear like, that because it's going to take you too long. And black people in America are like very comfortable in group between each other to talk yeah. about race, but they are deeply distrustful of white people and the ramifications of bearing their racial grievances. So a lot of times, if they do say to a white person, it's either hyperbolic and lost in the passion in which they said, or it's not even said because we don't even want to like get into this fight with you. I feel like my toys become this safe space where I'm very calmly explaining to you what it means to us, why we prefer you wouldn't wear it, and 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 then you're able to receive it. It's not an impassioned soapbox like it's like here's the history. This is why we value it so much. And unless you experience this history, we prefer you to do it. It's told in a very loving and gentle way. And I think for a lot of people, they just need to hear it in a loving, gentle way. But a lot of times, when the out, when the and I believe there's a need for the passion. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not mad at the backlash. Like I'm not mad at like black people standing there pointing as passionately. I do it sometimes too. But I know sometimes arguments can be undercut because people use your passion against you. So I like that in my tours we can talk about it calmly and rationally. You know, I mean no hate. We're all in this together. But I want you to clearly understand this wasn't meant for you. Please don't do it. You know what I'm saying? Totally. But is there something you because you are also teaching students and so on, like and also 
You know, yeah. I've been to the show of Anna Sweet. Oh yeah, I gotta go see that. Let's take some kids and go see it on December. Yeah. Did you love it? Good, good, good. The first word is wardrobe. Like in the show, it's called like she's like sourcing from all the cultures. Yes, yes. I was wondering what you would say about it. Like, what do you teach students how to source from different cultures in general? Is that something? Yeah. We could. You know? So there's two things. The first is one of the benefits of my training as an anthropologist is that you learn how to go to go into communities outside of your own and be respectful about getting information. So for a long time, anthropology was a form of colonialism. White men going into places like Africa to learn information to help their government colonize, right? But as more and more throughout the years, especially as minorities became anthropologists, we were like, hey, not on my watch, that's not going to happen. So my training is in teaching people how to enter a community, ask for permission, get validation, be in conversation and collaboration. To me, that's what anthropology has become because of our colonial background, right? And so it's very, it makes it perfect for me to teach about how to approach cultural awareness in an engaged way because I'm just using the tools that I use in anthropology. So again, I would never go and research a community and not say, is it okay if I do that? I'm, I'm being very transparent with my motives, my outcomes, and what I plan to gain. You're part of the conversation, so like we're co-authoring this. Like I might be the person who shares the information in a language that the audience understands, but it's your story, so you're as part of an author of this as I am, right? And then I'm asking um, if I'm understanding it right. I'm constantly going back and saying, did I get that right? Did I understand it right? Did I pick up on all the nuances? I think that's so critical and key, and for a lot of, in fashion in particular, it has a very strong problem of seeing things, seeing fashion as visual and not cultural, so they see a beautiful picture of design, and they're like, you know what, our next question, we're going to make that. We're talking about that before, too. It makes me so angry without contacting somebody in that community, asking for permission. One of the reasons that happened is they don't want to share the profit, which is unfair because it's millions and millions of dollars, and the creative inspiration is not your own, so pay words do. And they also don't want to be told no, because there are some communities that would say, there's Native American community. And no, you can't use that headdress. Yes, the headdress you would make would be beautiful, but it's not yours. And we have a special ritual around headdresses, and every feather means something. And you won't, people who buy your stuff, they haven't earned those feathers, so you don't get to sell it to them. A lot of designers don't want to be told no. Fashion is a very entitled industry, especially if you make a lot of money in it, especially if you're a luxury brand. And so, more than other industries where it's kind of obvious, like we know banking is predatory. Fashion has been predatory under the radar until like 10 years ago with, the, with Twitter and Instagram kind of calling people out. And so, fashion has some catching up to do. And so, so my me, work is very much committed to being someone in the industry saying, yeah, that's in not right, and this is how you do kind it of better. In between and like, things, yeah, the profit margin might be a little bit smaller, but the appreciation will be more authentic than you seeing a picture and thinking, I really like this, I'm going to make it, and I'm going to make money from it, and never once engaging with that community. So with all my kids, I see my students as being the future generation of fashion, and they're on my watch, like, I'm committed to having those hard conversations with them, because on my watch, there won't be a Gucci, there won't be an Asian. And, uh, monkey yeah. scandal. And that none of my kids are doing that because we're having those conversations in the classroom and that's where to get them. Not when they're out in the world getting all these accolades for being so creative and not being told no. A lot of these big designers, they're never told no. So, of and a lot of them have their own inherent prejudices, so they don't even want to hear from like some indigenous person, like, how dare you tell me how to create, like, I make millions of dollars. But you don't get to use their stuff. It'd be like going to someone's home, taking something out of their closet, and then being like, why are you mad about it? Like, it's, that, it's the same thing. It's that same feeling for a lot of marginalized communities. And I think we have to keep having these conversations out loud to change it. Case in Kardashians. 
critical, critical offenders of cultural appropriation all the time. Kim just changed her, her shaper line from kimono to skims. Ten years ago, she wouldn't have done that because she wouldn't have cared about the backlash. The more and more noise that is made about it, the more and more designers have to be held responsible for the creative choices that they make, especially when they're culturally inappropriate. And so, like, I want to be part of that conversation because the more loudly we speak, the less likely it will happen. The more likely marginalized designers will get profit margins for their creativity, which is incredibly important to their survival. So many minority designers, they get ripped off by someone like a Forever 21 or... And then they go out of business. Like, they end up working desk jobs. Like, that's a disservice to the industry. That incredibly creative person is giving up on fashion. My boutiques that are closing because of gentrification, they're going back to Africa. They're not open. They're not working in fashion anymore. They were an asset to the industry. It's a loss for all of us when we lose these creatives, and so we have to create safe spaces for them. Like, we have to. Amazing, yeah. I'll be honest. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you so much. Okay, good, good, good. Good, good, good. I'm glad we could do this. So I'm stopping it now. Absolutely. (laughs) And I had my own fashion line for four years, and I love fashion. I'm obsessed with fashion, but it never fulfilled me the way that this does now. Why did it not? I think... I think there. I think the fashion industry is an amazing industry, but I think it puts a lot of undue pressure on creatives. The proliferation of seasons. You know, back in the day we had four seasons. Now we have like sixteen. Yeah. That need to constantly be putting out output, engaging new customers. That felt like a chore. Yeah. I just wanted to create. Um, and I found being a fashion designer, there were almost too many rules I felt stifled. Yeah. What I like about my company now is there are no rules because no one else is doing it, so I get to make it my own. And I miss the part of the culture. So I had a socially conscious fashion line, so I talked a lot about culture within the collection, but not to the degree that I do now. And I like the tours because it, I hope that it makes people think more critically about their own style and their own fashion. Yeah. I think people think of fashion as a very superficial industry, but it says so much about who you are. And so I wanted to empower people, in particular women, to be self-narrators. Like I wanted them to be part of the narration of who you are to the world. So like, rather than unconsciously putting on a dress that you bought because you saw it on a Kardashian, I want you to think about why you like that dress, why you like that color, why that cut worked with your body. It celebrated your Latin hips and your curves. Like, I wanted to tell that story. That's somewhat harder to do with a fashion line because you mail out the clothes and they have it. But there's not much of a discussion. They come on the website, they like it, they wear it. The tours are a way where I can actually control the narrative and like really engage much more deeply yeah. about clothing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And um, like it's like this umbrella uh, project yes. you're doing is called if I uh, common thread the common project. thread project yep and I love the teaser or how you how you write about it it's like for me it's a teaser where you say like where Van Gogh Gucci sneakers and female barbers aren't nearly as unrelated as they seem right right what do you mean by that for someone who you know so the, the cool thing about being an anthropologist is that you learn how history politics culture all come together to create a community as a society and that happens with fashion um such a good example we were just on a tour and someone pointed out how the reset the bubble of the 80s followed by a recession in the early 2000s affects the way fashion is impacted today for local fashion artisans i think i think it's such a complex intricate story and like fashion can be this amazing it's like your favorite book you love that book because you can deep dive into the characters and learn the nuances and like 
you learn about the history of their mother and how it affects them now and how they date and their community and like the favorite foods like it all comes together to tell the story of a person and fashion is just like that like you can't divorce fashion from politics you can't divorce fashion from history you can't divorce fashion from culture and why would you because it only makes the fashion better because it's, it's a story so for me, I think about fashion as art, but I think of it as a story, like it's telling a story, and like, that's so exciting. Mm -hmm. And I think people are really excited about it once they start thinking that way, but we're not programmed to think that way. So I see my company as a mission to push people to just think more critically about fashion so that they enjoy it more. It's so much more than just like, it makes me look pretty. It's telling your story, it's telling the story of the designers, telling the story of the artisans who use their hands to make it. The person who like worked at the mill, who made the fabric, like all that comes together to make this like beautifully intricate tapestry, it's like so awesome. Yeah. And like in this case, like it's maybe naive, but uh, is there really a relation for you for uh, like Van Gogh, Gucci sneakers and uh, or is that just like to... No, you know? no. So that's Harlem like all those things are Harlem and so in Harlem fashion can be Dapper Dan which is luxury one of the few black designers in luxury so the most opulent fashion um, fabrics made in Italy brought here but then you go two blocks down and it might be a fam another boutique that ha that it's all about you know that's where the abuela shop you know because they love the fabric that's there like for me it's about neighborhoods and communities as much as about fashion and like what fashion lines or what small fashion businesses make sense in a neighborhood, it's telling the story of that community. Yeah. And a lot of times, especially at a place like Harlem, there's people who are like third generation Harlemites and then there's people like me who moved here because we're ambitious and we want to make the most of the world, but we all live together side by side, right on top of each other, and we all contribute to the culture of this place. And I might, if you would ask me, do I have a lot in common with someone who's been in Harlem for like 10 years? I'd say, no, I'm Jamaican. I grew up in Florida. I'm so different. But being forced to live in a neighborhood together, we have formed this community and that bond that we are connected. And some of, some of that is through cult clothing. And I love that. I love that. I, it's the common thread because it's the common thread that draws us all together. Like it's a double entendre on purpose. Like it's not only about the thread as a fabric, but yeah. the thread of like the tapestry of a community. Yeah, I get it, like a metaphor too. Yeah. 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 And then you're also, you're already mentioning it, but I felt um, knowing you a bit now or like following yeah. your work, uh, that there's two big motives which are somehow community, or yes. which is community and cultural awareness. Yeah. Like big things you're working on. Yes. So, um, and that's why I only do minority designers. Yeah. I only do minority fashion artisans. One, because for a lot of marginalized designers, they only have their immediate community, their friends and their family. That's who they're selling to. And that's not sustainable in the world that we live in, especially with the global wave of gentrification. So for me, the reason why I want to give them customers that wouldn't automatically think to come to them, who would innately love them, but just have never been exposed, have never been able to brush up against their brilliance. So I use my tours as a way to like broaden their audience, hopefully keep them, give them business that will keep them open for longer but also inspire people from other countries to be, to interact with their amazing genius. Like they're so smart. Some of these designers are making such beautiful things, but they don't have the marketing budget for the world to know. And they don't have the connected friends or fathers to like give them the platform. So this is my little, this is my form of activism. For me, my company is like, it's capital, but it's also activism, it's community development. It's all those things together in one. And also, like the, at the beginning of the tour, you were like, there was so nice how you were talking about uh, in Harlem how different, like the customer and this relation yes. 
too close yes. to now and like yes. maybe you can tell yes. something about that again. Yeah, so we live in a world of like fast fast fashion and fast fashion is about getting the product off the shelf as quickly as possible. What I love about minority fashion, which is very much sustainable. So when you think about sustainable, you think of bamboo fabrics, you think about yeah. a girl who goes to Harvard, who goes to India and meets an artisan and like makes a cute website. But in many ways, local minority designers, they're sustainable fashion because it's slow fashion. They take time with their pieces. They invest in them, they hand make them. It's like a process, they don't make a ton. So for me, what I love about Harlem and most of the minority designers that I work with is that they love fashion so much, it's really not about the buck for them. Because if it was about the buck for them, they'd work for a big designer and churn out designs and they would just be made all the time and sold all the time. For them, it's about the experience, it's about the engagement, it's about putting themselves into the clothing, it's about putting the consumer into the clothing as well. Um, it's just such a customized experience and we're losing that in fashion because it's all about the almighty dollar. It's about selling things as quickly as possible, always having something new yeah, on the new, shelf. Yeah. And these minority designers, they're sustainable designers. They don't get the same street cred as a white girl from Harvard, but they're slow fashion. And the same way that slow, sustainable fashion is such a necessity, not only for the world, but for the environment. Yeah. These minority designers are contributing to that, to that movement, but they don't get the same exposure or the same shine or the same remuneration. And so I'm glad to give them a platform bigger yeah. than what they already have. Yeah. You okay? Oh God, what news is it now? Yes, I'm sorry. I knew, oh, they found her guilty! Oh my God, I thought they were gonna let her off. Because she cried this week. What? And no disrespect, but white tears have white, a lot of weight. White, white tears, tears. Have, have a lot of weight. Oh, I'm so happy. Yes. So did you hear about this woman who walked into the wrong apartment and killed the man living in there? No. So she lived in an apartment that had like called Cooker Cuddy. Cooker Cuddy. It's like a very like modern building where every building looks the same. She's a police woman. She ah, walked okay. into a man's house because like, yeah. his door didn't fully click. It was one of those electric yeah. locks. She thought she was in her apartment because he was a black man sitting on his couch eating ice cream. No she saw him as an intruder, took out his gun and killed him. Did not realize until after that she was not in her apartment. Let me point out some facts. He had a big red mat in front of his door. She did not. She had an island in her apartment. He did not. So even though the apartment was cookie cutter, if she had any presence of mind, she would have known that yeah. it wasn't her apartment. Yeah. But yet she defaulted to this black man as a threat to me and she killed him. Hi, Blue. Robina. Robina is me. I got this you. Is you right? Thank you. Oh, I think I, I didn't you. order. I didn't, yeah, I didn't, no, no, I didn't no, no, know no, what no. you wanted. No, yeah, Thank sorry, you so I much. Didn't, I didn't get it whole, and uh, like sorry. a cappuccino, I would love to. Small, large? A uh, large. Okay, baby girl, can Thank I have some milkadamia? I'm obsessed with milkadamia. That's good, it, okay. It's so delicious. Have you tried it? I tried it once. You I'm didn't like it? No, Do you I'm, not like sweet milk? I like oat. Oh, I don't like oat because it has that residue in the mouth. Like, really? uh, you know like matcha, like it's still in your mouth? I, I know what you say. It's, it yeah. is thick. But, um, oh my god, we're, okay, so we're, we're milk enemies, but I still love you. We're milk enemies, but I really do love you. Thank you so much, my love. Thank you so much. How long did you try? Do you want regular milk or you want to try the regular. milk the day? Okay, perfect. I'm a big fan of regular milk. I really honestly thought, because she cried and she said this week on the stand, she was like, if I could, oh I wish gosh. I had died. Yeah. And her story. Shit. So do you not believe her? Because I thought that I she he, she might have liked him and he had rejected her I or something. Think oh. They had something going on. I think she I thought went, that when I first heard I it. I think she went. I think maybe they had a tiff. Or maybe he, she, he didn't rebuffed her. Or he rebuffed yeah, her. Yeah, I thought that too. And What's she a was tiff? 
Sorry. Uh, like a fight, a little a, spat, a, a little spat. Yeah, lover spat. Yeah, lover spat. I, I thought think, that too. Yeah, I think they had a But it never spat. came out. It never came out or that they she, knew each other. Or she like, or something. Something happened. You're so funny that you say that. Because I thought that when I like, first read the story, I was like, I was she like, probably hollered at him and he was like, I'm not interested. And she was mad about wow. it. And, and her, like some, some, especially... To her being a police officer, yes, she yes. Be like, oh, fuck you! You don't get the tr- like. You yeah. better love me. Yeah, right. right. You don't yeah. get to. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it just hit her the wrong way, and she was like, "I'm so glad said, you said that because no she, one has said that." You know, yeah. or she like rolled up thinking, "Oh, I'll roll up," and he's gonna be so happy. I'm here. And he's gonna be so happy, and I'll roll up, and you know, and he's probably like, "What the like, fuck are you doing yeah, in my apartment?" Yeah, like I'm feeling sexy. I'll go knock on his yeah, door. Yeah, yeah. And he was like. Get out my house. And, no she, and she might have gotten nervous because it's trespassing. Like she probably yeah, saw the title. She had a she yeah. had a boyfriend. She had a, she had a white boyfriend who was on the police force. Yeah, who she was supposedly sexing. So she said the reason why she didn't realize it wasn't her house because yeah. she was sexting her boyfriend as she walked in. But yeah. the fact that you saw a black man and your first instinct That's is really to shoot true. him to yeah. death. Yeah. Like That's even if all of that was yes. true, the first question is, what are you doing here? He was sitting yeah. on his couch in, yeah. in like yeah. joggers, you know? eating ice cream. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's not even like he had a gun. Like he, yeah. she's yeah. lucky. I have some family members. They would have reached for their gun, like legally, yeah. like their legal guns, and been like, yeah. get the fuck out of my house. Yeah. yeah. But he probably was like, what are you doing and here? If yeah. he did not, so yes, you know, I can't believe they did. They, I love it. And you know what? So because so I want afraid that he's she's not going. To yeah, because a lot of times like, when black men get killed like, in yeah, America, the people, especially if it's a cop, they always get off. Yeah. The yeah. only black pe- yeah. only police who have gotten put into jail for the, that have been black police. Like when when a black police has killed another black person yeah. they've gone to jail but never no, no, no. Not even, never not even the white person it's almost always it was a black police officer that killed a white woman in, in oh yes in, the ethiopian in guy Minneapolis. yes yes yeah. yes 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 he, he, went, he went to went prison to, he went to jail yeah he went to but prison even, even when police officers of color oh true kill other black people yeah. they, get black, they get they, off they get off they get off yeah yeah I am so happy about that. And there was one point last week where I read an article, and I don't know if it was right, where the, even the prosecutor had said, I don't think she meant to kill him. And when I was like, why would he say that? Yeah. But then his closing argument was so good because he was like, he showed the red mat. He was like, he had a humongous red mat in front of his apartment. She yeah. did not. Yeah. Like, how do yeah. you not and notice also, that? Like, Thank you, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Thank you. There's so many yeah. parts of that story that sound so crazy. It's so crazy. And the way the FOP came in and all that stuff, it was just, yeah. What's the FOP? FOP is the Fraternal Order of Police. It's oh, the, it's yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, for uh, police officers. Oh, I'm so glad. And, and uh, the president of the FOP was, was the, like, there on the scene, um, like, having a say in yes. this collection. Yes. It was just shady as fuck. The whole thing was just shady. Where was it actually? Ah, good Dallas. question. Oh, that's where yeah. it was? Yeah, Dallas. Which Texas. is another thing because Dallas is not like black friendly. Yeah. It is not black friendly. So I was like, his closing argument was so good, but I was sure. And then there was a point where they were going to try to ask for like involuntary manslaughter. They were like trying to reduce her stuff yeah. so much that I was like, yeah. she's going to get a year at that's best. So crazy. How yeah. much oh, does that makes me so now? happy. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like murder, murder. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't know that's big. I need to know that. I need to know that. And also like, it leads me to the oh, end uh, so, somehow. So, perfect. Like, perfect. The last so topic, go. which is cultural awareness. Like, yes. it's like, it showed like what's going on. Um, so I also <laughs> like I do a lot of work around cultural appropriation and my tours yeah. are the perfect place because I think for most white people they don't mean to offend they just don't know better right 
So with cultural appropriation, one of the biggest reasons why cultural appropriation gets perpetuated is because you don't know the history, right? So you see a really dope black shirt and you're like, I love it. I'm going to wear it. And all that people are saying, like, you don't know the history. You don't know the context. Like, you don't get to wear it unless you understand where it came from, what it meant to us. So on my tours, I'm providing that education, right? And I'm also giving you the insider scoop, like, hey, don't wear that because it's going to piss some people off. Yeah. And black people in America are very comfortable intergroup between each other to talk about race, but they are deeply distrustful of white people and the ramifications of airing their racial grievances. So a lot of times, if they do say to a white person, it's either hyperbolic and lost in the passion in which they said, or it's not even said because we don't even want to like get into this fight with you. I feel like my tours become this safe space where I'm very calmly explaining to you what it means to us, why we prefer you wouldn't wear it, and 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 then you're able to receive it. It's not an impassioned soapbox like da 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 da. It's like here's the history. This is why we value it so much. And unless you experience this history, we prefer you didn't do it. It's told in a very loving and gentle way. And I think for a lot of people, they just need to hear it in a loving, gentle way. But a lot of times, when the uh, when the and I believe there's a need for the passion. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not mad at the backlash. Like I'm not mad at like black people stating their opinions passionately. I do it sometimes too, but I know sometimes arguments can be undercut because people use your passion against you. So I like that in my tours, we can talk about it calmly and rashly. You know, I mean, no hate. We're all in this together, but I want you to clearly understand this wasn't meant for you. Please don't do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Totally. But is there something you because you are also teaching students mm -hmm. and so on, like and yep. also. You know, I've been to the show of Anna Sui. I don't know. If oh I've yeah, I want to go see that. I'm gonna take some kids to go see it on December. Yeah, yeah good. Did you love it? I loved good, it. Good, 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 good. And I was thinking about you good. because it's written very big. And she's a Chinese. Yes, absolutely. Student, yes, yes, yes. But like in the show, it's called like she's like sourcing from all the cultures. Yes, yes. And I was wondering what you would say about that. Like, what do you yeah. teach students how to source from different yeah. cultures in general? Is that something? Yeah. We could. You know? So there's two things. The first is one of the benefits of my training as an anthropologist is that you learn how to go to go into communities outside of your own and be respectful about getting information. Yeah. So for a long time, anthropology was a form of colonialism. White men going into places like Africa to learn information to help their government colonize, right? But as more and more throughout the years, especially as minorities became anthropologists, we were like, hey, not on my watch, that's not going to happen. So my training is in teaching people how to enter a community, ask for permission, get validation, be in conversation and collaboration. To me, that's what anthropology has become because of our colonial background, right? And so it's very, it makes it perfect for me to teach about how to approach cultural awareness in an engaged way because I'm just using the tools that I use in anthropology. So again, I would never go and research a community and not say, is it okay if I do that? I'm, I'm being very transparent with my motives, my outcomes, and what I plan to gain. You're part of the conversation. So like, we're co-authoring this. Like, I might be the person who shares the information in a language that the audience understands, but it's your story, so you're as part of an author of this as I am, right? And then I'm asking um, if I'm understanding it right. I'm constantly going back and saying, did I get that right? Did I understand it right? Did I pick up on all the nuances? I think that's so critical and key, and for a lot, of, in fashion in particular, it has a very strong problem of seeing things, seeing fashion as visual and not cultural. Totally. So they see a beautiful picture of design, and they're like, you know what, our next question, we're going to make that. We were without, talking about that before, too. It makes yeah. me so angry without contacting somebody in that community, asking for permission. One of the reasons that happened is they don't want to share the profit, which is unfair because it's millions and millions of dollars, and the creative inspiration is not your own, so pay where it's due. 
And they also don't want to be told no because there are some communities that would say there's Native American communities. No, you can't use that headdress. Yes, the headdress you would make would be beautiful, but it's not yours. And we have a special ritual around headdresses and every feather means something and you won't, people who buy your stuff, they haven't earned those feathers so you don't get to sell it to them. A lot of designers don't want to be told no. Fashion is a very entitled industry, especially if you make a lot of money in it, especially if you're a luxury brand. And so more than other industries where it's kind of obvious, like we know banking is predatory. Fashion has been predatory under the radar until like 10 years ago with, the, with Twitter and Instagram kind of calling people out. And so fashion has some catching up to do. And so my work is very much committed to being someone in the industry saying, yeah, that's not right. And this is how you do it better. And like, yeah, the profit margin might be a little bit smaller, but the appreciation will be more authentic than you seeing a picture and thinking, I really like this, I'm gonna make it, and I'm gonna make money from it, and never once engaging with that community. So with all my kids, I see my students as being the future generation of fashion, and they're, on my watch, like I'm committed to having those hard conversations with them, because on my watch, there won't be a Gucci, there won't be an H&M monkey scandal. None, none of my kids are doing that because we're having those conversations in the classroom and that's where to get them. Not when they're out in the world getting all these accolades for being so creative and not being told no. A lot of these big designers, they're never told no. So, of and a lot of them have their own inherent prejudices, so they don't even want to hear from like some indigenous person, like how dare you tell me how to create, like I make millions of dollars. But you don't get to use their stuff. It'd be like going to someone's home, taking something out of their closet, and then being like, why are you mad about it? Like, it's, that, it's the same thing. It's that same feeling for a lot of marginalized communities. And I think we have to keep having these conversations out loud to change it. Case in port, Kardashians, critical, critical offenders of cultural appropriation all the time. Kim just changed her, her shaper line from kimono to skims. Ten years ago, she wouldn't have done that because she wouldn't have cared about the backlash. The more and more noise that is made about it, the more and more designers have to be held responsible for the creative choices that they make, especially when they're culturally inappropriate. And so, like, I want to be part of that conversation because the more loudly we speak, the less likely it will happen. The more likely marginalized designers will get profit margins for their creativity, which is incredibly important to their survival. So many minority designers, they get ripped off by someone like a Forever 21 or, and then they go out of business. Like, they end up working desk jobs. Like, that's a disservice to the industry. That incredibly creative person is giving up on fashion. My boutiques that are closing because of gentrification, they're going back to Africa. They're not open, they're not working in fashion anymore. They were an asset to the industry. It's a loss for all of us when we lose these creatives, and so we have to create safe spaces for them. Like, we have to. Amazing, yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Cheers, thank you so Cheers. much. Okay, <laughs> I'm pleased. Okay, good, 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 thank good, you. good, good. I'm glad we could do this. So I'm stopping it now. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>